This episode was previously recorded using our old podcast name. To find out more about why we decided to change our name, listen back to episode 32 entitled, Why We Changed Our Name. Hey friends, welcome to Kings and Queens, a podcast about life and ministry in the kingdom of God. My name is Joseph, and typically on this podcast, I'm sitting with my wife, Nicole, in our home here in Spokane, Washington, and talking with her about our journey of faith and what we're learning about ourselves and the world around us. But in today's episode, I am joined by my friend Kyle Cryan to talk about his experience in Bible college and the way he's using his social media to give voice to those who've experienced harassment and discrimination discrimination and abuse at our alma mater, Clark Summit University. We'll also talk about empathy and how film and art help us learn the heart of God for ourselves and the world around us. Thanks for joining us. Here we go. Well, welcome back, friends. It's great to be with you all again. I am really thankful and humbled to be able to reconnect with my friend Kyle after not really talking for like seven or eight years, something like that. Uh, Yeah, probably closer to 10, really. Yeah, it has been a very long time, but Kyle is now a good friend and I'm really excited to talk with him. So Kyle, thank you so much for being with us. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm really excited. Well, before we get into today's conversation, I'd love for you to share with us a little bit about yourself and give us a sense of what it means to be Kyle in this season of your life. Oh, gosh. Um, Well, I am 27 years old. I just started a new job uh, in Michigan. I packed up myself and my dog from Ohio, which I greatly miss, and moved to start a whole new life. I'm really into running and exercise as well as reading, writing, and watching movies. And um, I have a master's degree in counseling and psychology from Clark Summit University, which we'll get into. Um, But my life is basically go to work, come home, read a lot, write a bit, watch a movie, and uh, walk my dog endlessly. Totally. That's amazing. Our friendship kind of was rekindled in two ways. One, through the movie Arrival, yes. uh, which we are both <laughs> massive Arrival fans. Oh, um, and then what we're going to get into today, but it is uh, really great to have you. I'm excited about today. Before we dive into the specific reason that I wanted to have a conversation with you today, I wanted to share a little bit about our relationship over the last few months. As we'll talk about, Kyle started this hashtag on social media and has been receiving a lot of messages from people who've experienced a lot of different things at our alma mater, Clark Summit University. And Kyle and I at this time, which was a few months ago, probably, we didn't really talk at all, but I was following this hashtag that you had on social media because CSU was my alma mater. That's where I went to college. That's where I graduated from seminary. And I know a lot of people still connected there. And I wanted to hear more about these stories that were coming out of people who had experienced, you know, harassment or abuse or discrimination Um, So I could be part of holding the institution and the leadership accountable. So I was kind of following your story. Every time you'd post, um, I would read through them. And one day I read a story that you posted and it was about a soccer player who at the time was a senior and you were a freshman. And this senior soccer player did something super inappropriate during practice and everyone kind of laughed it off. And the coach didn't really think it was a big deal and everyone 
kind of was like, oh, it's just boys being boys. And it, from what I remember you telling me, you were like not okay with it. And as I read your account of what happened, my stomach dropped because I knew that at the time I was a senior on the soccer team and you were a freshman. So I didn't remember that specific incident, but now I'm self-aware enough to know that the story you told was definitely something that I could have done. And I was really nervous that in this massive list of like harassment and harm or whatever, like I, it could have been talking about me, like I could have been the one like causing harm. So I reached out to you, Kyle, and was like, hey, man, I don't know if that story about the soccer team was about me, but either way, I wanted to like apologize to you for not having your back. And I was like a jerk in college and was prideful and arrogant. And I definitely should have been a more loving, inclusive and a gentle person. And we started texting back and forth and we FaceTime and come to find out that story was about me. And I was the one who was inappropriate and caused harm and to both you, Kyle, and the rest of the team. And to our listeners, it probably won't surprise you, but as we talked, Kyle was so incredibly gracious and was forgiving and understanding and just really generous with me. And we had this really healing conversation and it was sort of miraculous. And I tell you all of that and I start that way, Kyle, one, because you are amazing and I just want to honor you and honor your generosity in this. But Secondly, I wanted to tell that story because it's an example of how we're all in process and we're all on a journey and we're all learning in our own way and at our own pace. And those of you who might be further along in the journey need to remember and give grace to those who might be in a different place and still have growing and maturing and developing to do. So Kyle, before we kind of dive into hashtag BS confessional, which is kind of this thing that you started. Uh, what was your experience like in those first few conversations with me as someone who like you literally tweeted about me and now I'm like DMing you and being like, oh, was that me? What what was that like for you? Yeah, it was. Gosh, it was it was scary. Like to to be honest, it was it was quite scary. Um, I never expected the hashtag to be where it's at right now and still gaining some traction. Um, but when you started talking to me, I. I don't want to say it triggered me in any sort of way, but it, it made me nervous. Yeah. Um, because I wasn't out to hurt you, which is why I didn't tag you in it. I didn't say your name. I didn't even say the name of the school. But through our conversation and through the Holy Spirit really softening my heart and easing my anxiety through it, um, like it just showed me that you had changed and you were different and you had grown. And like, that was something that I could see evidence of too. And so that's when like, that has been the only one that I've removed because you reached out, apologized. We had a healing conversation yeah, and, and yeah. we moved on and we're, and we're friends for the first time. And it's totally awesome. Yeah. And you know, it's really hard to be in a place where for me, you know, like I want to be this person that's like loving and inclusive and generous and working towards like liberation. And a lot of those things sound like really beautiful and amazing, but I know that I, I haven't always been the type of person that I am today. And it was, I told my therapist, I told my spiritual director, I told another pastor on staff with me, I was like, yo, this guy tweeted this thing and I think it might be about me and I'm not like 100% sure, but it, it was really scary for me to kind of look back and see 
you know, this idea that like I need to hold myself accountable for the person that I was. And like, obviously, you know, I have grown and matured and whatever, but like I still need to be accountable to that. And I was really, really thankful that you were willing to talk with me. And that time we FaceTimed uh, was just like a really pivotal moment in my spiritual formation to kind of see like, okay, this is somebody who experienced harm because of me and I need to own that and apologize and like, let's work towards like healing together. And that was just really beautiful. And your hashtag and your story, I think the goal of it is that it's not to like bring anybody down. It's not to like, you know, like middle fingers to the world. It's like, Hey, there's harm, there's discrimination, Mm -hmm. there's like triggering, there's like abuse happening. And we need to like hold people accountable for their actions. And hopefully these kind of conversations can happen and there, you know, be repentance and reconciliation between people but that doesn't come before accountability. Correct. So Correct. as we start, I would just love for you to talk with us about your experience at Clark Summit University and why you started this hashtag and this kind of idea of accountability for the school. Yeah, my experience with Clark Summit University, and I'll just shorten it to CSU from here on out, was like, I would say 90% positive when I was there, because I was on every every single year that I was there, I was there for six years on campus to do both undergraduate and graduate degrees. And I did everything from student like government leadership. I was not really on the soccer team. I played last bench. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, I was in, I was on the cross country team. I, I was in a play I like was a was a residential assistant for four years. I taught a class for two years. And so all of these things, I was I worked in admissions for a year. During all that time, I saw like these blips of things. I'm like, that's not right. But no, but I kept putting it off to the side because I was like, well, no place is perfect. So like right. don't question it. Totally. You know, like don't don't question what they're doing don't question what they're saying just like because no one's perfect so that means no institution is going to be perfect and so i let a lot of things go and it wasn't until i started this hashtag it was actually this past october when i really fully started to realize a lot of things that were that had happened to me cuz i'd been working them through with my own therapist my own counselor this stuff all of these things like when my first mentor ever told me that i didn't walk like a man and he had me at Clark Summit University walk back and forth in his office and he'd critique me. And wow. it, I was a freshman. I was 17 when he did that. I was still a minor when he did that. Wow. And at the time I thought it was weird, but I was like, oh, well, I got to walk like a man to get a youth pastor job. Otherwise, no one will hire me. And so that was the, I was gaslit for a totally. lot of it. Totally. And so it was this past October, I was watching one of my favorite movies ever. Uh, scream. Um, I don't know if you've seen it. I have but not, it's... but if, if it's one of your favorites, then it's got to be on my list. <laughs> well, it's it's a slasher horror film. Um, yep. And towards the end of the film, in the mi- middle of the third act, one of the killers, oh, I just spoiled some of it, but sorry, is looking at the main girl, Sydney Prescott. And he, she's covered in blood after, and he's covered in blood and he's holding a knife at her. And it's after she's just had sex with her boyfriend and he's been killed and the killer's looking at her and he's like, you broke the rules. Now you got to die. And I had to pause the movie because the spirit moved in me and was like, 
you feel the way Sydney Prescott does right now in this moment. Hmm. And the killer is CSU. And I started then, that's when I started to kick it into overdrive with this hashtag of like, hey, these things were done to me. This stuff was said to me and it's not okay. Right. And CSU, as I've even more started to realize, has that you broke the rules, now you got to die. Look at its students who don't necessarily either fit their mold yes. or who broke their rules or who just are different from what they want their students to look like. Yes, both physically or theologically or like yeah. socioeconomically. There's a lot of different variables mm -hmm. to that. Mm -hmm. And I mean, full disclaimer, I grew up on campus. I moved there when I was in sixth grade. I literally, my dad was a professor there. I grew up on campus from the time I was sixth grade until the time I got married 10 or 15 years later, I was on campus. Like I was invested mm -hmm. and you know, it is that like there's a certain type of person, even in our theology classes, it was like, here's the right way. And here's all the reasons why everybody else is wrong right. about. these. It was things. like it was like if you don't think this way, if you think something outside of this, you're just wrong. Yes. And it wasn't like the core stuff that like, you know, is very central to Christian faith, like Jesus Christ, virgin birth, lived perfectly, died his death and, and rose again and is with god in heaven right it was it was stuff that that like i remember a theology professor saying that a mom should never teach her son any theology or read him any scripture once he turns 13 because he's a man and i said well wait what if she's a single mom and he goes well then she should hand him over to the church men to, to for him to learn theology and i was like at the time i was so so mad i was a junior at that point this is the 04 this is like a 400 yeah. level class and my one of my best friends is like holding my arms during class because he didn't want me to ask another question because I would just get more frustrated and more upset. But again, I was like 21. So I, I just let it go. I was like, you know what? I'll just, you know what? That's okay. He can just hold on to that. And that's fine. And there's time and time again, like when I worked in admissions, uh, I was trying to like recruit students and was told that you should stop with that student. They're not going to fit like they're, they, they're Catholic or they're Pentecostal or I was like, but okay. I was like, okay. And yeah. then come to find out that I'd been gaslit once again and strung along for another year in this job to only be denied a full-time position once positioned opened up. Yeah. And like stuff like that over and over and over again. Well, yeah. And I think that was kind of the precipice of why you started this hashtag and you started kind of sharing a little bit of some of the things that you experienced. And at some point, it kind of got a little bit of traction and you started to receive messages from other people, whether it was other alumni or people that were currently at school. Um, tell yeah. us a little bit about what that shift was like and kind of like, this was my story, this is my experience. And then you at some point started to like almost pastorally field these like stories of abuse or harm and whatever. And you're having now to like decide, like, do I share this anonymously? Do I just like hold this? Do I just say, I'm sorry, I'm praying for you. And I'm sure that was like a little bit of attention. Uh, yeah. What was it like to start to receive messages from people that like maybe you didn't even know or weren't really aware of? What was that shift from like, this is my personal story to, wow, other people, a lot of other people have experienced some of the same things I have. What was that like for you? 
Um, it is hard. It's it's been heavy. Um, you know, like the first one I received, uh, someone recounted how they expressed a fear, a legitimate fear of two guys hiding under her bed during open dorms, which if you don't know, if you didn't go to Bible school, hey, good for you. Um, <laughs> you you're missing out on a lot of trauma if you didn't go to Bible yeah, school. But. Um, open dorms is when it's a time during the semester when guys and girls are allowed to go in each other's rooms with the doors open and blah, 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 blah. I always hated it as an RA. I just hated it. That was stupid. But she expresses fear because she overheard two guys scheming to hide under girls' beds in their rooms. She expressed that fear and was just shot down and told, then close your door. If you don't want guys in your room, close your door. But then she told me later that she was chastised for always closing her door. I, I received a message from someone who was coerced into going, who was tricked into going to what she thought was a Bible study. And the guy takes her somewhere and assaults her in the car. And, and lots of stories like that. And it's hard on my heart. Like, it's heavy. And I, I, I always pray for them. I always tell them I'm praying for them, that I'm so sorry. I ask their permission if I can share it anonymously. Like, I'll, I'll color out their face and, and their name. But to make that switch, like, like what you asked to answer your question, actually, like, really, it was easy. Hmm. The stories are hard to hear and they're hard to carry in my head and in my body. But that switch was so simple and so easy to do because it is the right thing to do. Now, if, now if, if, they had, if they say to me, no, please don't share it, that's happened a couple times where someone has sent me something and I said, I'm sorry, I'm praying for you. Do you mind if I share this? And they've said no. And that's okay because that's theirs to share, not me. Sure. Um, but, but yeah, it's, no one's ever asked me how how it's been no one's asked me that yet for me how it's been for me i we talked about this in the facetime when we chatted last week but i just want to affirm you in that and i just want to like call out your pastoral sensitivity and the way that you are carrying people and the way that you are encouraging and looking out for you know, leaving the 99 in the comfort and the safe for the one who it's not safe. And I just want to like commend you for that, honor your resilience, honor your strength. And I know there are times when it's hard and I'm sure like, I mean, you've told me stories and it's like, you know, jaw dropping what some people have experienced. And that's why I just think it's, this conversation is so important because these are real stories. And these are real mm -hmm. people that like we may not know by name and may not go to school with, but like this is a family issue because this is like our people. This was our yeah. school. This is literally my blood family employment over the last, you know, X amount of years. Like this is mm -hmm. this is a real issue for me. And I would love, I'm sure we could go on and and communicate the seriousness of the stories, but people, you know, don't need to hear all the stories. I'll link Kyle's all of his uh, social media and the show notes you can go and just and read the stories for yourself yeah they're all on um like an instagram story like right. if you go on my instagram they're there it starts off funny because i at first wanted it to just be funny and then it, it quickly turns into what it needs to be 
Well, I'm sure, hopefully, as you continue to share more of these and the hashtag continues to give voice to people who may not have a voice or may feel like they've been silenced or gaslit or marginalized for whatever reason, my hope is that people who are in leadership at Clark Summit University would hear this episode and would hear the seriousness of these stories and the harm and the toxic theology and the abuse and harassment, all of the things that have happened at this institution. And I would love for you, just in your own way, what would you say to anyone who is listening to this and is in some level of leadership at Clark Summit University, whether that's a teacher or a professor or somebody who's on the board or maybe another alumni or President Lytle or whoever may get this from somebody, maybe they receive the link, they listen to this episode. What would you want to say to them if they were on the other side listening in right now? I think first I'd I'd want to say that, that we're all guilty in, in some way. Like I know that I was not a perfect student. I know I was not a perfect RA or employee. So I I would want to let them know that, that this is a group guilt kind of here. And that I'm not out to, to cancel anybody, to shame anybody, which is why I've never used a student's name. I never used a professor's name for a while. I didn't even use the school's name. Yeah. Until until you you responded to one Joseph and you use the school's name. And, yeah, I and... went a little more, bit more <laughs> savage. I've definitely been I've been using personal names and tagging them. But what what you helped me learn, and this is something I would say I would say to them as well, is that like I'm not out to cancel you, but there are people that need to be held accountable. Yes, and that just happens to be heads of the institution, Jim Lytle, yes. Bill Higley, like they have to be held responsible. Because yes. they were in charge when these things went down. Does that mean that they need to go to prison or jail forever and lose their licenses for teaching and things? No, no, it doesn't. Just means that maybe they need to sit down and listen. Yeah. And that's a big thing that I would say to teachers, employees, the administration, those on the board of Clark Summit University, sit down and listen. Because yes. all you do is talk. I was there for the better part of a decade. You just talk. You don't listen. You you stand up there on stage. You spout your theology. You spout your ideals. And if any student challenges that, you lord over them your power. You lord over them your, air quotes, greater knowledge of scripture than them. And you don't listen to the difference in perspective that they're bringing. There is a reluctance to yield control. I'm reading yes. wow. I'm reading Jesus and John Wayne right now. And it breaks my heart. I had to stop reading it at work because I was crying too much at work. Yes. It's a hard read, but a necessary read. Yeah, 100%. And over and over again in that book, everything boils back down to evangelical white men using fear in propaganda because they're afraid to lose their power and their control. Yes. And that's what's happened to CSU. It's afraid to lose its power and its control. So it has shrunk. It will eventually die out if they don't sit down and listen. That's the big thing that I would say. Sit down, be humble and listen and be empathetic to the people that you hurt are hurting. So that way you might not hurt anymore. 
I mean, I'll just give my yes and amen to that. And I think in the spirit of wanting to center the voices that have been silenced or like we said, marginalized for reasons of fear or trauma or like lots of different reasons why people don't share their story or don't speak up. Obviously, as you mentioned, one of the main reasons is because historically, when they have, they've been silenced, they've been gaslit, they've been told, don't dress that way, you shouldn't have done that. And they put the guilt and the onus of responsibility on the person without the power right. while protecting the person with power. So what would you say to anyone listening right now who experienced any sort of harm or abuse, not just at CSU, but any Christian organization or a school? or a church and they've experienced this story and they don't know what to do. They don't maybe have a clear pathway out of spaces of harm. They don't know how to find safe spaces or they don't know how to find healing. They don't know how to share their story. And they're kind of locked in this, you know, endless cycle of fear and, you know, experiencing more trauma in different ways and being trapped because they don't have anybody to tell and they don't trust anyone. And all of those feelings, of course, are valid. But what would your pastoral counsel or kind of like put on your therapist counselor hat? What would you say to those people who are in that space or that season of their of their journey? Uh, first, I would affirm that Jesus loves them. I would I would have to have to affirm that despite the the trauma the violence, the audacity of things that happen to them or is happening to them. Jesus loves them. And it is not because of their, their sin that this is happening to them. That is something that has been a recurring theme in messages that I'm getting is that it's a sin issue in the person's life that they're depressed. Like I had someone message me saying that they, they were mentally, they're mentally ill. They, they struggle with depression, anxiety and, and, a someone who studied psychology and counseling at Clark Summit University and works there said to that student, it's because of your sin. So A, Jesus loves you. Your trauma here is not because of your sin. It's a result of sin of the fall of Genesis 3, but not your individual sin. I would affirm that I love them and I care for them and that there are people who will love them. And that perfect love casts out fear. And that there should be no fear in the church of God, in, in the community of believers. Yes. So if they enter into a church or they're still going to their church or their Bible school and they're afraid to be there, leave. Like it is okay to be on your own for a season and, and watch church online. I think we all experienced that in 2020 is that it's okay to watch church online. Yes. And, and to shrink your community. I have found that over the past year and a half that the shrinking of my community has strengthened my love for God and my love for his people. But I would tell them that perfect love casts out fear and to leave that space of fear and call whoever you need to call to help you, whether it's your parents, a roommate, a pastor at a different church, whoever you need to call to get out of that, do it. Whoever you need to reach out to to DM, just do it. But you have to start from a place knowing that God ultimately loves you regardless. I tried to reach out and I didn't start with that with myself, letting myself know that God loved me. And I didn't reach out for the longest time. I just stayed and shrunk in myself and my fear 
that people would judge me, people would be rude to me, people would be mean to me, people would outcast me. And all those things happened, but God still loved me. Wow. I would say, leave your Bible schools. Just leave them, guys. <laughs> because I'll second that motion. You need to hold your your church, your your community church to a higher standard. Yes. Your local church should be the ones teaching your you, you your theology, how to be a pastor, how to be a lay leader, how to be an elder. You don't need to go to Bible school for that. And if you're at Bible school for a psychology counseling de- degree and you want to do that in biblical counseling, cool. Go to a secular university and tie yourself to a local church. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think that for both of us, we have seen spaces of quote unquote Bible education just be used mm-hmm. in so many ways to perpetuate harm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've talked with people and I'm just like, look, the future of the church is not one where powerful people get up and train theologically from the pulpit from a place of like power and privilege. Right. That is not Mm -hmm. at all what we see in the pattern of Jesus and like the future of the church. Like it's the future of the church is the margins. Mm -hmm. It's the common people. It's those who are don't have the power. And it's those people like myself Mm -hmm. who are in power, who are committed to Mm -hmm. abandoning their power for the sake of leveraging and centering the voices of people on the margins. And I have learned that is one of my great passions in mm-hmm. life is to decenter myself and like my voice and center the perspective, the opinions, the experience of people for whom the kingdom of God is closest. And I know it is not cishet white educated men living in the United States of America. And so that's like, I mean, we talked about that. And I think that is something that I know you are really passionate about as well. Yeah, and, and and what you the person you described there is Jesus. Yes. The person who abandons their power and centers the conversation not on himself, but the but the low. Yes. The outcast, the women, the marginalized and the children. Yes. Who do we see Jesus go to first? A woman at the well. Yeah. Who do we see Jesus scooping out of the dirt? A woman caught in adultery. Who do we see Jesus healing? Blind men, lame men, men who can't afford anything. Who do we see Jesus chastising? Pharisees and men in power. Yes. And and that's who you described. As we kind of begin to land the plane on this conversation, what do you see as the future? I mean, we kind of touched on it, but what do you see as the future for followers of Jesus specifically in leadership and positions with power. So how can, in your perspective or from your experience, how can the church specifically dismantle these abusive and toxic theologies and structures that are so often used in discipleship and spiritual formation and step into ways of discipleship that set people free, that liberate them, that heal them, that give them the knowledge and the opportunity and the resources to become all that they were like made to be in the world. What do you see as a way for that to happen specifically in the local church? I think for the local church, it it just depends probably on the size of your local church too. Like, are you a local church that is a bigger couple thousand people or your local church that's like 200 some people? But I think from the top down, it looks like reevaluating what's important. It's, you know, I think we talk a lot, we're in a generation of deconstructionists, and I find that to be dangerous 
because as I'm reading Jesus and John Wayne, all of our pain and trauma that we're experiencing now in white Christian America, not necessarily just white either, like Christians in America, the pain that we're coming from, it came from a reconstructionist movement. And so my fear is that we're going to swing the opposite direction so far that we're just going to cause similar pain just from the opposite side. And so that's a that's just a caution that I see happening in society a lot is like, well, this was bad. So let's just do the other thing. Well, that's still bad. So let's, you know, I think the way forward is to listen. I think the way forward is to then act upon what you've heard. You know, I, I recently left a church um, because, I mean, yes, I did move states, but I left the church before I moved because they were listening to Black people, but they weren't doing anything to help Black people. And they they weren't saying that Black lives matter and they weren't, they just weren't being helpful. They were just listening and saying, see, we're, we're okay to listen. We can listen. Listening's good. Um, and yeah, it's good. But if you don't do anything with what you've heard, then it's pointless. Yeah. So A, listen, B, act upon the margins of society. Really look into where your money is going. Like look into the organizations that your church is partnering with. If you don't agree, find out why the church has chosen them anyway. So if I was approaching you, Joseph, and you're my pastor, I'm like, hey, I don't understand why we give money to this place. Can you help me understand? I would hope that you'd be willing to have a conversation with me and see why I disagree and see my fears and validate them. And then be like, but we're still going to give money to them, but I see your fears and, and your cautions. So let me look into them. And then you have a conversation with the people in that organization you give money to. I think overall, there is this lack of, of empathy, as, as, as you've mentioned, and, and then listening to the other, listening to that person we don't agree with. It's okay to disagree with people that doesn't mean that they're awful and wrong. Sometimes they are, but most of the time they're not. They're just not properly educated. Um, does that kind of answer your question? Like, I know it's I know it's a nebulous answer, but... Yeah, and, you know, even I think that's one of the beautiful things about the church is there are, there are so many ways to play your small part in, like, being better in any way, whether it's, mm-hmm. like, LGBTQ issues or women in ministry or you know, racial justice or whatever that looks like, everybody has a starting place and everybody's part in becoming more liberating and inclusive and loving and whatever. Like, like we said in the very beginning, everybody's story is different. Everybody's context is different. Everybody's city and community has different needs. Mm -hmm. And it's like you said, listening and learning what those needs are and then being a community in which people can participate in the renewal of the spaces that you're in. And I think it's important in that to um, give people time and time and room to grow and think and to not expect, you know, by the end of the month, things to be different, maybe for conversations to be taking place. But if you, you know, give it time, give people six months, a year, two years, because some people have been thinking things for a long time that aren't right. And so it's going to be difficult for them to change their thoughts. Yeah. And that takes time and room for people to grow. Well, let's end here. I know that we have talked about this specifically on in previous conversations, but I would love for you to just talk a little bit about empathy. And that, as we've talked about even in this episode, uh, how you just like were empathetic with me. 
I would love for you to kind of just share with us as we close how you see empathy playing into this conversation of growing and healing and the intersection of art and theology and empathy as we learn to become people who are inclusive and liberating and loving towards the people around us and the people that we work with, the people that we see in media, the people that we're in community with. How do you see empathy playing out in our lives and in the world around us? Yeah, I, um, I, I can't see the church healing without it um, because I'll just define empathy super quick. Like Brene Brown, who's a renowned psychologist, has like, there's like a 90 second video on YouTube that someone could watch, just Brene Brown empathy. And it's this animated video, but basically she defines the difference between empathy and sympathy. So if you imagine you're in this deep, dark hole, empathy climbs down into the hole with you, sits there with you until you're ready to leave. Whereas sympathy pokes his head down in the hole and is like, oh, that sucks. Do you want a sandwich? I'm, I'm making, making food. Do you want anything? And then it leaves you alone. So we need to be able to, as the body of Christ, sit with people and be empathetic to them as a human, empathetic to their life, to the way that they view the world, to their heart, their mind, their body. Which you're not going to know if you're not listening to them, which is back to your point earlier of like, we need to listen. Exactly. And, And they're... And there are three kinds of empathy. There's cognitive, emotional, and compassionate. And you can read about those more in Daniel, Daniel Goleman's uh, Emotional Intelligence, which came out in the 90s. But I think it holds up. I think it's great. We won't discuss all three types, but that book, I think, is really good in helping people understand. But when it comes to art and empathy, the very act of watching a TV show, watching a movie, listening to music, reading a book, playing a video game is an act of empathy. And we just haven't really understood that. It is engaging with someone's view of the world, of God, of their own life, their own experiences. It's engaging with them telling that story. And so in in my podcast, The Critical Millennial, that's what we do. Which we'll link at in the show notes. Go check it out. It's amazing. Uh, thanks. It's not as polished as this one, but it's getting there. <laughs> And, and what we do is we take film, books, all types of media, and we discuss it at its base level, like a film is film. What is this film saying to us? What do we like about it? Then what is this film saying about God and art and scripture? And what can we talk through? And, and we have a whole episode in dedicated to empathy and learning that. And I just think that if Christians could just look at art, just look at it, first of all, engage with it. Hollywood is not Satan. Evangelicalism has been closer to it in the engaging war in nuclear weapons than Hollywood ever has. So watch a film you don't think you're going to like. Listen to what that director, that writer, that actor is trying to tell you. Because they're all working together to tell a cohesive tale, a cohesive story. And, and it's always beautiful for me yeah. to watch a movie. Whether, I'm, whether or not I even like it is always beside the point for me. I always leave a film, TV show, whatever, being like, what did that just show me? And so that's what I, that's what I need Christians to start realizing is that they can watch a damn movie. It just it bothers me that Christians aren't empathetic and that they're not willing to learn how to be empathetic. And the easiest way is to engage film and to engage art, to engage music that, that they don't like. I, I've 
harkened back to one of the, the best things that ever happened in my life was my parents getting cable. Because as a kid, I remember watching Lizzie McGuire and that show dealt with eating disorders, had people of color on the show. I remember watching That's So Raven and an episode that deals with Raven not getting a job because she's a black woman. And I attribute the Holy Spirit working through those shows to teach me even that young age of 11 and 12 years old, how to begin that journey of empathy. Yeah. And I think that is, I mean, it is the core practice of becoming a person of love in the world is learning that your story is not the only story. Your experience is not the only experience. Your perspective on the world is not the only perspective on the world. And you will never be able to know somebody else's life and experience, but you can listen to their story and you can learn the art, both literally and metaphorically, mm -hmm. of I don't know what it's like to be you, but I love you enough to listen to you and to be yes. able to say, how can I, as a person who doesn't share your experience and doesn't share your right. perspective, how can I work to see you liberated and healed and included and affirmed and loved in the world? Like, what do I need to do? And I think that you're totally right in just the idea of becoming an empathetic person. And art is a great way to do that because you can do it anywhere and at any time. And it's not oftentimes it's not a two way street. It's just engage with this thing that I've done and then you just work on it internally. And it's a really, really beautiful way to do that. And I think that and not think I know and believe this to be true, that Christ was the great empathizer. What is the act of leaving heaven to be born a baby to an immigrant, a social outcast, to be raised to be a carpenter, to, to watch the world go through all these things, to cry at Lazarus's tomb, not because he's dead, but because people have to feel this pain, and then to take that pain on himself. What is Christ if not an empathizer? Yes. And what do we need to model is the life of Jesus. And that is a life filled with empathy, love, and compassion, not war, fear, power, and control. And I think the more, to answer your question too more from earlier about what can a person do who's stuck in that fear and a person who is in that control, it is this meeting in this middle. Like this person who's afraid can't really speak up because this person in control won't listen. So the person who needs to say what's on their heart is fearful. And it's just fear all around. It's fear of losing control from men in power. And it's fear of being thrown back into the dirt, for lack of a term, by those who need to speak up. Wow. And I think yeah. both sides can come together with empathy. One being empathetic enough to realize that what they have to say to men in power, they might not understand yet. And that's okay for them to not understand it yet. And those in power being empathetic enough to listen and engage with what they don't understand. Well, yes and amen to all of that. As we close, thank you so much for chatting today, Kyle. Thank you for really giving voice to the voiceless and centering those people who have been mistreated and discriminated against and experienced harm. Specifically at Clark Summit University, you are a huge pastoral help to me. I'm so thankful for our relationship and what you've taught me specifically over these last few months. I'm a better person and a better pastor and leader and husband and father. Like I'm I'm a better all around person because of your contribution and your grace in my life over these last couple months. But as we close, 
for listeners who want to stay up to date on what you're doing and what you're on about in the world, what are some of the best ways for them to support you or follow you? Do you have any work or projects or anything that you want to plug as we close? Um, there's the the critical millennial. Um, we've been pretty silent uh, this this year so far, but we're in the process of starting up again. Um, so you can follow us on Twitter at, at the critical millennial. Just look for a purple and gold X. Um, and that's us there. You can follow me personally. Just look for Kyle Cryan on Instagram and Twitter. My personal ones is where you'll find the Bible school hashtags and all of that stuff. And lots of pictures of my dog. Um, my Which, cash app. What's, what's your dog's name? Sorry. No, my dog's name is Buffy after the Vampire Buffy. Slayer. Oh, classic. Yeah. So amazing. My cash app, if you want to financially support me, is just dollar sign Kyle Cryan um, because I moved and I need a new car now. And Yes, absolutely. Um, but... You know, those are those are those things that I've got going on. I have some things that I'm writing right now and I'm looking for people to potentially publish within the next year, year and a half. Awesome. Um, and that that's that's really it. Like, that's what I got. Well, amazing. Be sure to check all of that out. Links to everything will be in the show notes so you can access them easily. If this was your first time listening, this podcast it is hosted by me and my wife, Nicole, and sometimes we take time to have conversations with amazing people doing amazing work in the world. We are bivocational pastors and leaders in Spokane, Washington, and we keep this podcast sponsor and ad-free as an act of justice. So if you're able to become a Patreon member and support the work we're doing, we'd love to invite you to do so by visiting our Patreon page below. This episode was written, produced, and edited by us with music from Miami Nights 1984 and Eric Godlow. Grace and peace to all of you. We love you, and we'll see you next time.